This is Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. Construction Law Today is a podcast about current topics in American construction law. Your host for Construction Law Today is Buzz Tarlow. Our podcast, Construction Law Today, began in July 2019 and is now in its second season. In our first year, we produced 14 episodes on a variety of what we hope were timely and interesting topics in the field of construction law. In our upcoming season, we hope to produce similar podcasts at the rate of about one new podcast per month. As always, we welcome your questions and comments. Please let us know what you think we can do to improve the podcast. The contact information for Construction Law Today is found at the end of this podcast. On behalf of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law, thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have renowned construction lawyer Andy Ness from Washington, D.C. Andy has accomplished just about everything a construction lawyer can in his or her career. Successful private practice, active in lawyers groups, including becoming the chair of the ABA Forum on Construction Law, a fellow of the American College of Construction Lawyers, and now a highly regarded arbitrator and mediator for JAMS. Along the way, Andy has written and spoken extensively about construction disputes and the resolution of those disputes. Today, Andy and I will be talking about a less common but perhaps growing technique in dispute resolution, neutral case evaluation. Andy, great to talk with you. Before we begin, would you tell us just a little bit about your background and the kinds of matters that you've been involved in over the years? Well, thank you, Buzz. It's a real pleasure to be here. Before I joined JAMS, I spent 40 years in private practice doing almost entirely construction cases. And I started off representing contractors mostly and smaller matters. Then owner clients started to sneak in there, ended up getting a good balance between contractors and owners and uh, represented most of the other parties to the construction process as well. As years went by, I got to work on cases over a broader geographical area, including really all over the world, and bigger bigger value projects and bigger value disputes. So um, it kept me very much interested for a long period of time, and I got to work on a very wide variety of projects, uh, from you know tunnels and bridges to hotels and shopping centers and hospitals and just about everything else you can think of. And uh, that included a four-year stint as uh, the temporary head of the Middle East construction practice while I was at Jones Day, which gave me a lot of insight to the cultural differences uh, that you run into on international matters. Let's start from the beginning on our discussion today. Just what is neutral case evaluation? Well, I think a good definition, working definition, would be that it's a written, non-binding evaluation of the merits of the dispute, and it's provided by an evaluator, a neutral evaluator, who has the experience and the, and the judgment and the knowledge to predict with a high degree of accuracy how the actual decision maker, whether that be an arbitrator or a judge, 
is likely to roll if the case goes on to a, a hearing or a trial. Give us an example of when it might be appropriate to use this kind of technique. It's an extremely flexible technique, an extremely flexible tool. It doesn't apply to all kinds of cases or every matter, but it has a broad range of potential application. But mainly, it's used as an impasse breaker, a situation where, say, you've been in a mediation, and what comes out is that both sides think that they have a very strong case, and they can't be budged from that. Well, they can't both be right. But the real question that's at the heart of the the dispute where insight would be really helpful in getting to a settlement is, which one of them is wrong? So neutral evaluation, I think of it as an application of the classic 80-20 rule or maybe 90-10 rule, but in that it's a way to get to a useful, actionable answer to that question. Who's wrong? It's much more efficient than going to trial. You get 90% of the value in terms of an opinion on the merits for about 10% of the cost. Well, let me stop you there, Andy, because for a long time, I've heard this technique referred to as early neutral case evaluation. When we were talking before, you tell me it's not always the case, but don't you have to set this up early to get that 90-10 rule kind of effect? Well, it's going to be a whole lot less expensive than going to trial, no matter when you do it. And frankly, you need to know um, a lot about your case to really um, have a useful neutral evaluation. If both sides have not gone through any discovery and uh, are still sort of a preliminary stage, it's hard to render a really persuasive neutral evaluation. It's actually a little easier later on. I don't call it early neutral evaluation because that's really gotten kind of a bad rap of, you know, the judge telling you, sort of off the cuff, which party he thinks has a stronger case, but at a point when the judge doesn't really know that. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. How do you structure it? When does it happen? What kind of work goes into it? Who attends? And those kinds of things. Depends very much on the case, and the beauty of it is that it's highly flexible. So if it's a relatively straightforward case, you can do this in a very simple 30-day process. Just give written summaries of each side's position and the key documents to the neutral evaluator and get back in return, say, a three to 10 page assessment of the case based on what you supplied to the evaluator. If the case gets more complex, uh, has more issues, you add presentations is the first thing you add. And then you can make it as elaborate as you need to. I think the most elaborate one I've been involved in was three days of presentations, one for each side, plus a day of rebuttals. And then they each had initial and reply briefs with exhibits. So that was a pretty complex case, and it warranted it. But that would be sort of at the extreme end of the most complex neutral evaluation process. Let's take a look at the selection of the evaluator. That's got to be an important initial consideration for the parties, isn't it? Yeah, it's critical to have the right evaluator. You want somebody whose opinion both sides are going to respect and who uh, has the experience and knowledge and judgment and independence and lack of bias that basically you would want if you were picking a single arbitrator. Also helpful to have somebody who's a quick study because you want this to be efficient and you want them, this person to be able to pick up the facts very quickly and be able to process it. 
decisiveness is also important. I think there'd be nothing worse than commissioning a neutral evaluation and getting a wishy-washy opinion that says, well, it could go this way and it could go that way. You want something that lays it out as the evaluator sees it, whether it helps you or hurts you. One of the things that we as construction lawyers deal with in many of the disputes that that happen are multi-parties. Could that kind of case work in the um, neutral evaluation context? Yeah, I, I, you know, you have these multi-party, many-party cases with the owner, the contractor, a raft of subcontractors, insurance companies, uh, God knows who else, securities. The neutral evaluation can work just as well in that situation, and you can conform it to what the needs are. For example, you can get not just an opinion on the overall liability to the plaintiff, but allocation of liability amongst the various defendants, uh, or if you have a recalcitrant party that doesn't want to participate who's really causing trouble and the rest seem inclined to settle. You can even do the evaluation without the recalcitrant party involved and then show it to them later. Obviously, you give them a chance to try and get them to participate in the neutral evaluation process. That's better. But, you know, say at the end, it comes out that the other parties have been assigned 70% of the liability by the neutral evaluator. And, uh, you know, the one that didn't show up is assigned 30%. And you can go to that party and say, we want you in the, on this deal, but all you have to do is be in on th- for 30%. It's not going to be a higher number. Well, that could be a re- very attractive proposition. That is very interesting. Tell me about how it works in practice. For example, do you want all the parties there? Do they? Can it work if just one party brings their case for neutral evaluation? Well, I, certainly the preferable situation is to have all parties involved so that they can all make their pitch as to their best case, and they all feel like they got a fair shot to present their best case, and all of their issues were taken into consideration in the written decision. But there's a lot of times where it's a one-party or or at least in a multi-party case, you don't have all the parties there participating. Clients want you know, an evaluation before they even file litigation sometimes. How, how good is my case going to be? You can provide an evaluation under those circumstances. You can provide an evaluation when they're considering an appeal. You know, what's the chances? You can provide an evaluation like, uh, say, you want to know how a jury is likely to react to a case. You can do that. You can evaluate the testimony of one key expert. How likely is that testimony to be accepted? There's all kinds of ways you can do it that don't involve all the parties. You've raised so many ideas in my mind as I'm listening to you talk about this. One that you mentioned to me before, and I'd like to have you talk a little bit about, sometimes these evaluations go hand in hand with a mediation. How does that work? Uh, Yeah. Well, as I've mentioned at the top, uh, a lot of times it becomes apparent in the mediation that it can't be successful because you can't dislodge the party's overly high assessments of the case that they both have. So that's one way it happens. And there is a process called mediation evaluation, where the mediator basically concludes that that's the kind of situation we have and recommends moving into a neutral evaluation phase, and the mediator becomes a neutral evaluator. So, And then sometimes even goes back to being a mediator after the neutral evaluation is rendered. So you can integrate it into the mediation process that way if you want. How about the situation where pending summary judgment motion or motions to dismiss or some kind of dispositive motion, can the 
neutral evaluator help the parties with figuring out what the likelihood of um, whether that motion might be granted or not is something the parties should be uh, taking into account? Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, I mean, I think most construction litigators have experienced the situation at some point during their career where there's been cross motions for summary judgment, for example, fully briefed, pending at the court, but the judge is not turning to issuing a decision. Well, get a neutral evaluator to issue a decision and then use that as a basis for settlement. Basically just short circuit the judicial process a little bit that way and get the input that you're likely to get from the judge if you just sit around for another year waiting for his opinion to come out. We'll be right back with more construction law today in just a moment. back with Construction Law Today. My guest is Andy Ness, Washington, D.C., and the JAMS office in that area. Andy's an arbitrator and a mediator and talking with us today about neutral case evaluation. Andy, as we were talking in the first half of the program, I was thinking a little bit about how these evaluators may deal with specific circumstances of a given case. And, And let me ask you about a couple of these. Let's assume in a particular construction dispute, there's a very bad witness who has been deposed and said some things that are very damaging to his or her client. Now, the evaluator has to figure out how that might play in front of the actual finder of fact. How do you think that works in the process? Great question. I think that's one of the trickiest aspects or trickiest situations is you're probably not going to get to actually see the bad witness yourself. They're not going to put them up as a presenter in the neutral evaluation. You're going to be reading the deposition just like everybody else. But you're bringing to bear your experience here. You've seen plenty of bad witnesses over the course of your career, and you know that it doesn't always play out exactly the way it is in the deposition. I mean, obviously, they can't vary from what they said in the deposition. But in the meantime, maybe they've come up with a good explanation or their demeanor is a lot more positive than you might think from just reading the words on the page. So you have to take those factors into account as well. But those credibility determinations in terms of, okay, this is going to be bad testimony. How much weight is it really going to carry with the finder of fact? It obviously will depend on whether you're in arbitration, a bench trial, or a jury trial. But that's one of the trickier elements. And my approach, frankly, is I just provide a frank discussion of the issues there and my best guess as to what's way it's most likely to play out. Let me ask you a a somewhat related question. Let's say that there's a smoking gun email. You have to explain in your role to some hard-nosed trial lawyers that X or Y statement might really make a difference. But those lawyers have been dealing with that email for six months or a year. So so what does the case evaluator add to that analysis? Well, they add the perspective of the decision maker who is seeing it for the first time and trying to absorb it in the context of a relatively brief proceeding, which is the way an arbitration would work or, or a bench trial would work. 
So you're giving a fresh perspective on that key email. And maybe it's, you don't think it's all that hot a document. Maybe you think it's a dynamite document, but that fresh perspective from a neutral person is a very key part of a neutral evaluation. You had caught my attention earlier when you talked about the potential evaluation of the testimony of an expert. I want to ask a follow-up in connection with that. Certainly in cases I've been involved in over the years, parties have invested a huge amount of money in their experts. How does the evaluator explain to the parties that Ms. Expert Jones isn't as compelling as that hundreds of thousands of dollars that you've invested in her might have made her? <laughs> well, I think the answer to that is you got to play it straight. You, you uh, will hopefully, in the case of an expert, you will have heard the expert make a version of his trial presentation during the evaluation process, or at least read his report. And if you're not impressed, you got to say that one way or another. You try and do it in a way that doesn't insult the counsel or uh, denigrate the money that they've spent on the expert. But you got to lay it on the line and say, you know, there are issues with this testimony. And here's what I saw as issues with this testimony. There's no other way to do it. That's, a, again, a va- extremely valuable aspect of neutral evaluation where it applies. Does the evaluator meet with the client as well as the lawyers? It's typical that the clients be present in any kind of a presentation so they can hear the presentations by both sides as well and the questions that the evaluator asks. So I I typically suggest strongly that both sides bring decision makers to any presentations and that they stay in the room the entire time. They don't, unless they're going to be a presenter, they don't otherwise participate, but hopefully they're listening. My assumption is in these cases, especially the bigger ones, is that you have very competent lawyers. And good lawyers in big cases are always watchful about giving too much away to the other side. Some lawyers, I've heard said, they don't share their playbook with the other side, something to that effect. Now, you as the evaluator really need to hear what the argument is. Do you have to talk to counsel? and say, you need to tell me this, you need to answer X or Y, or show me how you're going to handle this situation so I can understand it. And sometimes those lawyers say, look, we really don't want to give that away. I haven't had that come up, but I mean, neutral evaluation is something you get out of it, what you put into it. And if you're going to hold back uh, the key cards uh, because you don't want to show them before trial, you can't expect that you're going to get the most favorable neutral evaluation that you would otherwise get. That said, In my experience, it's a very rare construction case where there is going to be that true surprise element or surprise witness or surprise uh, evidence that's going to come out of trial that you're trying to hold back. So the usual case is the cards are on the table through discovery and you can put on your best case in a neutral evaluation and you're not giving away the case. If you've got a strong case on the facts or on the law, it's not going to change based on having brought it out in the neutral evaluation. Now, of course, we as trial lawyers think we could convince any jury of anything. And you hear over a variety of jurisdictions and over time, a lot of judges are very hesitant to predict what a jury might do in a given case. How does a neutral evaluator offer some guidance to the parties in the situation of a jury trial? 
That's simply a matter of picking the right neutral evaluator. Yes, uh, construction cases in particular, when they go to juries, there's a whole lot of variability in terms of how the jury might react to it. But, you know, if you've got a jury trial in Minnesota, and that's the key issue you want uh, input on, is how is a Minnesota jury likely to react to this case? Uh, I'm not the right neutral evaluator for that. I've never tried a case in Minnesota. You want a retired judge from Minnesota, uh, or you want uh, at least a trial lawyer from Minnesota who's tried many jury cases in Minnesota, who can give you some real insight into how a jury is likely to react in that particular jurisdiction. What I'm hearing in part makes me think a little bit about the situation where the evaluator knows who's on the panel. Let's take a typical arbitration of a dispute. Would you tell the parties, look, I know that Sarah often keys in on this issue or that Bob is particularly interested in this part of the contract. Can you, can you talk to the parties about your personal knowledge of how deciders, be they arbitrators or judges, might see a case? Absolutely. Again, if you know the judge or you know the arbitration panel, it is entirely possible. Uh, sometimes evaluators are picked to give insight to a particular judge because they've tried five cases before that judge. If it was an arbitration panel and say, I knew all three arbitrators well, I would give hints. I would say, you know, this kind of evidence is likely to appeal to this panel and this other kind of evidence is not likely to appeal to this panel. I wouldn't get into the individual personalities in my evaluation. I don't think that's appropriate, but you can certainly provide a lot of useful input into what's going to resonate with this panel and what's not. Do you ever have a situation where you pull one party aside out of the hearing of, of, of the other lawyer and tell them something that you think they need to hear? Not in the formal neutral evaluation process, because it is important to maintain impartiality and neutrality. You want everybody to be completely comfortable with the fact that you have no stake in this and aren't playing favorites with anybody. So you're not like a mediator where you can just go off and talk to one party. You pretty much need to do everything in front of everybody so that everybody feels they got an equal shot and they know exactly what the neutral evaluator heard and is taking into consideration. Are you finding that in your experience and other people at JAMS who are doing these, are the lawyers listening? Oh, yeah. If you've gotten to the point of commissioning a neutral evaluation, the council certainly should have bought into the process, and otherwise they're just wasting money if they're just sitting there and letting the process unfold without paying attention to the questions being asked and the written evaluation that's being rendered. And they generally are. There's a lot of stories among JAMS panelists who have done this where the parties agree to just accept the neutral evaluation as if it was a binding decision, and that's how they settle the case. They don't change a thing. Well, Andy, it's been very enlightening and very interesting. I appreciate you coming on and explaining this to us. Andy Ness on Construction Law Today. Andy, again, thanks very much for your time and uh, look forward to learning more about case evaluation as time goes on. Well, thank you. I think it's an underappreciated technique and I'd like to see it be better appreciated and used more often because I think it's a highly useful tool. Thanks very much for the opportunity to be here today. You have been listening to Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. 
All rights relating to this podcast are owned and controlled by the American Bar Association. No reproduction or reuse of this podcast is permissible without the expressed written consent of the American Bar Association. For more information about construction law today, or if you have any questions or comments, you may contact our host, Buzz Tarlow, jtarlow at lawmt.com. Our podcast is produced with the assistance of Peak Recording Studios in Bozeman, Montana. Thank you for listening and look for our next edition of Construction Law Today.